Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey everyone, it's Elisa Kreisinger, executive producer at Refinery29, and I am here with Strong Opinions Loosely Held Season 3. This season of Strong Opinions is a little different. We are dedicating five episodes to one topic, and that topic is memes. I love memes. A little bit about me. I used to remix and mash up TV shows into viral videos. I edited all the men out of Sex and the City. I turned the heteronormativity in Mad Men on its head by making Don and Roger fall in love. And I did all of this through just editing the footage in new and different ways. The goal for me was to make it seem like these characters were way more woke than the original. And I wanted to talk to pop culture in its own language. That's still something that I love and really relate to today. And that idea of talking back to pop culture has evolved or devolved, depending on your point of view, into meme culture. If you're online, which let's be real, you definitely are because for one, you're listening to this podcast, you've probably shared, laughed, loved, or hated at least a meme or two in your life. And even though sending that gif of Rihanna rolling her eyes to your post-breakup group chat probably feels like second nature by now, memes as they exist in our digital space are still kind of a new thing. And one of the things I noticed is that women are at the forefront of meme culture. They're making them and sharing them. They're using them to talk back and they're using them to talk to each other. They're using them to talk about experiences, feelings, points of view. So this season, we're talking to meme creators, meme scholars, and fans about why memes matter, who makes them, who shares them, and who profits from them. We'll unpack concepts like digital blackface. We're talking to the creators of Woke Charlotte, an awesome Instagram account that splices intersectional feminism into sex in the city. And I'll be speaking with meme master Quinta Brunson, a content creator who was able to springboard her viral success into a career directing, producing, and developing for TV. Now, just to convince you that I'm not the only person who gets very excited about memes and this conversation, I called upon one of the country's premier meme scholars. Hi, I'm Kate Miltner. I'm a PhD candidate at the USC Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. Kate is actually one of the first academics who took a serious look into memes. She actually wrote her master's thesis on lolcats and the people who love them. I got a lot of shit for that. Like, people made fun of me endlessly. And so that was my first foray into the world of meme research. In case you don't remember, lolcats are pictures of cute cats with funny, usually misspelled text laid on top. And you might be thinking the same thing that Kate's academic colleagues were thinking. Memes? Lolcats? Are you f***ing kidding me? But 
Kate was really just ahead of her time. And it was only a couple of years later when memes started being about quote-unquote serious subjects that people started to take meme research seriously. When she says serious subjects, she means serious subjects. The 2016 presidential race was full of memes. Think of all the tweets that came out of Bernie Sanders' Disney princess moment. You remember that faded moment when a bird landed on his podium? Or think about the current president's obsession with memeable catchphrases like you're fired, crooked Hillary, or the failing New York Times. Trump constantly retweeted memes made by his supporters during his candidacy. And that didn't stop once he became president. And while I'm not saying that Trump's meme mastery got him elected, it definitely didn't hurt him. And it certainly made a lot of cultural critics sit up and take notice. If a digital phenomenon was having real-life consequences, there might be something there worth exploring. In the beginning of my career, I mean, that's primarily what I did. I looked at memes or emoji or GIFs, so like popular culture on the internet. And I used sort of theoretical frameworks that were developed in the 1980s to look at like kind of junk TV shows, um, like soap operas or, you know, reality TV to sort of say, like, even though these things seem sort of silly or unimportant, actually, they're doing a lot of cultural work. A successful meme is pithy and to the point. And according to evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins, who actually coined the term way back in 1986, a successful meme is easily copied and widely disseminated. Memes are only as powerful as the amount of people who remix, remake, and reshare it. So the difference between viral media and mimetic media is that viral media sort of circulates online unchanged, right? So you have a video and people watch it like 20 million times, but they don't make their own version of it. They don't sort of remix it, right? But with with mimetic media, people take that that piece of media, and then they take their own spin on it and they do their own version. According to Kate, a meme is less about what it means and more about who shares it. The point with mimetic media is that it's usually not one group of people. I mean, sometimes it is one group of people, but usually if a meme really blows up, it's because lots of different people have found something meaningful in that one piece of media, right? So it's flexible enough in its interpretation, like people can interpret it enough, like in their own way, to to make something that's meaningful to them. So that's the difference. And Kate thinks that this public discourse packs a lot of power. It's something she learned from one of her favorite professors at the London School of Economics. In the first class that I took with her, she told us, if there's some sort of like pop cultural phenomenon that's exploding, don't look at the text. So like the show or, you know, the the meme or whatever it is. Don't look at that for the societal influence. Like look at the reaction to it, because if people are reacting to something really intensely, it means that something is happening there. That was what I was really interested in. That's why I went to do my master's. I was like, wait, you can study the Internet using academic methods? Oh, my God. Like that was very exciting to me. Memes weren't always on our presidential Twitter feeds. The form, as we know it today, was actually born out of these weird, unregulated message boards like Something Awful and 4chan. 4chan is an image board. So basically it's like a bulletin board, but it's most famously known as the asshole of the internet because it basically trafficked in 
in sort of shocking material. And it was reported that there was child porn on there. I'm not entirely sure if that's true, but it was a very aggressive form of trolling, right? Lulls instead of LOL, right? So mean laughter instead of sort of like funny laughter. They have a lot of toxicity to them. 4chan is known for these kind of epic trolls. Like, they get all of their users to vote for former North Korean leader Kim Jong-un as Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Or they announce Steve Jobs' death way before he actually died, which resulted in Apple stock plummeting overnight. But around 2011 and 2012, memes began to creep off of these pretty secluded message boards and into the wider internet. Memes became mainstream starting around 2011 and 2012. There was a a whole bunch of media sites and platforms that made money by reporting on the newest hot meme of the day. Oh, look what the kids are doing, right? Like there were a lot of sites that basically kept track of the new hot meme and then wrote about it. And so that sort of helped bring it into the media diets of people who otherwise may not have have seen it. Social media websites were also becoming super popular around that time. And one of the key features of something like Facebook and what made it totally different from something like MySpace is that content there was instantly shareable. You could take something a friend posted and repost it to all of your friends and followers immediately. Now, this sounds really basic now, but that act of sharing content is pretty recent. They call themselves like social media networks, but really they're content companies, right? I mean, without content, whether it's from you or from somebody else, like no one's going to go onto those sites. I mean, that's why they're advertising companies. And shareable social media platforms actually helped create big, diverse online communities. So the people who didn't have a large platform before now really start sharing and interacting online. I think that social media has offered an opportunity for young women to make media publicly in a way that had previously not really been available to them. There's a whole body of work on girls making media, but it was about the stuff that they were making in their bedrooms and within their personal groups. That's a much more public process now. In digital spaces, women, women of color, queer kids, people who probably didn't have large platforms before, they can speak to one another. And that means ideas that might not have a lot of room in mainstream public discourse are suddenly making the rounds in big ways. So something like Me Too and Black Lives Matter, those can gain big audiences really quickly. But you probably wouldn't see them on TV first. For millennia, we have been using humor to sort of poke fun at power and the powerful. Look at the court jester. The whole idea is that humor allows you to say things that you wouldn't normally be able to say. Humor makes these political messages go down a little bit easier. No one wants to be the subject of a soapbox monologue. I think that's why academic work doesn't necessarily get the audience that it might otherwise because it's written in a way that's not particularly accessible. Feminist Ryan Gosling is filled with intellectual academic concepts, but it's formatted in a way that's entertaining and short and you you get it. And that's exactly why we think memes are worthy of a deeper look. So this season, we're digging into memes. Women made memes to be exact. I want to know who makes them, who shares them, and who profits from them. 
That's all coming up this season, so keep listening for episode one on Digital Blackface.